The following podcast uses words that are frequently used to describe lawyers. Hello and welcome to episode 271 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I am Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. And uh, Rachel Gezersay is on a cliff in Big Sur, apparently. <laughs> How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing great. Where actually are you? Uh, in real life? Yes. You mean in, yeah, so I am currently, I live in Valencia, California. Right. I thought you were in Valencia. You're working from home these days? I am working from home, living the dream, no commute. Cool. Um, this is your third appearance on the show. Uh, how would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, well, I am a, an attorney, first and foremost. I am now a, a plaintiff. Uh, since last we talked, I, I now work, work at a, a high-stakes personal injury plaintiff firm, which has always been my dream. And I transitioned to that actually during on March 23rd during the pandemic. So my entire career has uh, at this new place has been remote, which has been amazing. I'm also the author of the Law Career Playbook, which came out about uh, almost two years ago and has been selling like gangbusters in the pandemic as people are trying to navigate how to network and find jobs in this new reality. That is awesome. Um, we'll get back to a conversation with Rachel in just a second. We also will have on today's show a, question, a bunch of questions from listeners. Um, somebody wants to know whether JD MBAs are good for big law. Um, maybe we can get your opinion on that, Rachel. Uh, someone wants to know whether they should finish a graduate certificate before applying to law school. We have a pearls versus turds. We have a question about LSAT score improvement ceilings. And then we'll do uh, a question, a logical reasoning question from prep test 65. This show will air on Monday, November 9th, which means that uh, if you're listening to this on the day of launch, uh, we are now in the middle of the November LSAT flex testing week. You have about a month until December 2nd to sign up for the January LSAT flex and uh, the deadline for February, you have to sign up by January 6th for the February LSAT flex. Uh, you can always email the show help at thinkinglsat.com. That's how we make the agendas for the show. So if you uh, have stuff, you know, you can send us in news, you can send us in questions. Um, we love to hear from the listeners. So uh, write us in and uh, you might hear your name on the show. When you do that, if you send a uh, selfie, um, we, you might end up on our social media and stuff as well. Um, leave us a review on iTunes, please. Um, I know you get annoyed at, at podcasts and everybody asking you to leave reviews all the time, but it really does make a difference, man. If you go in there and you just write a few words, good or bad, about the show, the algorithms start to understand that we're important to people. And when they think we're important to people, then they show us to more people. So if you're a fan of the show and you want to do us a huge favor, just... Uh, Go to iTunes and, and write a few quick words about the show. And um, if you're watching this on YouTube, oh, they always say, like, click subscribe <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Mash that subscribe <laughs> button. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess, yeah, we need to be thinking about the YouTube audiences as well. Um, yeah, so same deal there. Um, you know, share it with your friends. Do all the things. Please. 
we would really appreciate it. Another thing you can do, if you would like to help us out, send us your favorite moments from the show. We uh, need to grow our presence on social media. And if you send us timestamps from the show, uh, funny moments or helpful moments from the show, email help at thinkinglsat.com with timestamps for your favorite moments. And uh, you will probably see those popping up on social media um, pretty quickly if you do that. We'll also use that for episode 300. <clears throat> when we did episode 200, right? That was like just clips from previous best, episodes. Best of show. Be, yeah, the best of show. That was the funniest episode, I think. We're coming up <laughs> on 300. Like so pure, yeah. Yeah, we should do a best of again for, for number 300. That's that's a good idea. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, so again, um, email those timestamps to help at thinkinglsat.com. Obviously, you need to include the episode number and uh, the timestamp and maybe a little note about the topic so that uh, our editors know what bits to cut out to put into the, into the best of and to put on our social media. Um, we have been getting signups, uh, for people with the LSAC fee waiver. Uh, if you get a fee waiver, you will not have to pay the $99 LSAC fee and we will give you the LSAT demon, uh, normally $380, but we will give you the LSAT demon for $30 for four months. Uh, and that $30, by the way, it goes straight to the law school admission council. We make zero dollars if uh, if you sign up with an LSAC fee waiver, you're getting it from us for free. Uh, LSAC still charges you the thirty dollars fee, so we have to charge you that and then give it to LSAC. We also will give you twenty percent off of any of our higher level plans. If you want to do Demon Live or Demon Premium, um, you can get twenty percent off of that. Just email help at lsatdemon.com if you want to sign up for those packages. All right, uh, Rachel. How long ago was it that you were on the show? You were, you were, it's been a while, I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a while. I think I, I it, definitely a year and a half or so. And then I came to one of your classes live, uh, in Vegas, which was fun. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, and what did we do? Did we do a podcast in Vegas with you or did I, I can't remember. No, I think I came and I spoke, you had a weekend course and I came and spoke to your students. Yeah, it was I, really fun. I do remember that. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Oh, the days of live LSAT instruction. <laughs> I think we yes. ordered five guys. I seem to remember that. We yes. uh, no in and out, in and out. Oh, yeah, in and out. Yeah, yeah okay. we were right next. Yeah. To, it was on campus at UNLV, and it was right next to an In and Out Burger. So we went and got In and Out for the class. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, yeah. Okay, Rachel. So I guess the first topic to discuss is um, you know networking before law school or even during law school. Is it futile during COVID or can uh, kids still be out there hustling? No, I honestly think it's a huge opportunity. Um, and especially, I mean, we're now in the kids world, right? I mean, most most of the kids that we're talking about grew up with FaceTime, texting, on the computer, on screens all the time. And this is your world. So why not take advantage of it? Um, and if you're an introvert kid like I was... This, this is a huge opportunity, actually. You, you find a captive audience, all of the same stuff that I've always preached that people need to do, the research, the figuring out who you are, figuring out what you want, that's all still available to you online. What's even more available to you is people are now just captive at their computers, and you can do those info interviews with people on Zoom. So really, it's about just being comfortable um, on camera, right, and being okay with doing these kinds of interviews with someone um, who's captive at their computer too. 
But I, don't, I really don't think anything's changed. You just got to be ballsy about it and schedule it and just, just keep to your schedule and keep meeting with people and talking with people and doing it this way. So there's way more opportunity now. <laughs> That's great. I mean, in, even if the pandemic ended today, I, I you know, obviously some things are going to go back in person, but I think many people are going to realize, uh, you know, you live in Los Angeles or Valencia. I imagine you're pretty happy not to be blasting around in traffic all the time, right? And why can't lawyers do business like this? We're still face to face, right? I right. mean, it's it's an electronic version of face to face. So it, it is a thing that I think everybody needs to get comfortable with. This is just the way things are for now yeah. and probably the way th- things will be forever in lots of cases. Well, it's been fascinating. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like I work on these mass tort cases now and um, it's fascinating to watch everyone just shift over. Even, you know, old school, older attorneys, we're now doing depositions completely online. We're doing court hearings, you know, judges are up in their robe and on the square up here and <laughs> do a full on mass tort court hearing where people from all over the country are joining and that's just the new normal. And I don't, I actually don't think there, th- those will continue throughout of course. You know, after this gets well, better. Well, the alternative so. to that is everybody flying in airplanes around the country and getting rental cars and staying in hotels and just this enormous waste of resources that doesn't need to happen at all. Ben, you were going to make a joke, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a dumb joke. <laughs> the I was going to say. <laughs> just send the kids back to school that's all i need and then keep everything else at home that's that's I'm all i you. want i'm with you on that 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 has been a challenge because i i my op, my my home office is in the front of my house and then the kids piano is in the back of the house and they'll have their mm. piano lesson right during the court hearing which is very difficult <laughs> to say the least it yeah. just parenthood just sounds like such a joy to me I, you know i just have such regret for never having kids um <laughs> let's see what uh so i don't know i'm sure you have other updates for us rachel what else is is new these days well no i think as i said in my intro it's been it, it, i shifted my entire career i was always a defense attorney for many years at jones day and big law and then i went to a boutique and i was still not entirely happy with how things were going and so i just networked the hell out of my network. I really worked it and was able to place at one of the top plaintiff firms. And I'm just, I don't think I've ever been happier in my career, actually. Wow. And I, I should have done, I should have done this earlier. Did you um, like get a fresh copy of your own book and go through the exercises? <laughs> I did the deal. I mean, that's the thing, you know, it, it was really hard because if you're shifting, if you're going from, you know, defense, I mean, certainly I had I had certain attributes that were attractive, I think, to the plaintiff bar, the fact that I had been on the dark side. And, you know, I, I had that insight was a way I could market myself to the plaintiff bar. But, yeah, all this stuff that I that I preach to my students about just picking up, picking up the phone, calling people, putting yourself out there, putting it out into the universe. It, I made that work for me, actually, to get this position. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it worked really well. That book, by the way, is the Law Career Playbook. And uh, you said it's selling well, even during the pandemic? It, it's it's it, I have sold more books um, in August and September than I did in the whole first year <laughs> that the book came out. Um, it's incredible. And actually, you know, being on Zoom, I've had more people reach out to me through LinkedIn, through Facebook, even Facebook Messenger. I'll, I'll have students send me um, notes and ask for advice, um, people all over the country. And I actually do Zoom meetings with people now 
um, to help them sort of transition and network through this pandemic um, and give them advice on the book. So yeah, it's doing incredibly well. I think people need that kind of a resource because it's just a big unknown right now. That's awesome. You've always been really good about letting people reach out to you. Um, how, how do they get in touch with you if they want to talk about the book? Yeah, I mean, my email is public. They can email me at uh, gezersay at PSB Law. They can email my work email. They can reach out LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn uh, every day. Um, and so the, the message system, message board on there works really well to get in touch with me. And I have actually, I'll let people know, I've updated a lot of the resources, the charts and um, the resources in my book. And so I'll email anybody those for 2020. Um, I've got updates. They have a big dumpster fire. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they, they, they're they're <laughs> they're new for 2020, especially the spreadsheet. So I'll send that. Any to uh, any plan to actually update the book or a new version of the book? I, I am. I'm actually working on a series of articles about networking in the pandemic and, you know, how to reach out and best practices and, you know, the kind of camera or light that you want to have um, to look better on Zoom. Um, and I'm going to be posting those on the ABA for law students website and also updating the book with new chapters. So, yeah, there are there are plans. Cool. Find the time. Cool. Yeah, well, I mean, not to ask for more of your time, but I think our LSAT demon um, classes would love to hear from you as well. So, I mean, we maybe could put our heads together on some sort of a networking class for for yeah. our our kids. Um, cool, I love it. Ben. You seem like you've been wanting yeah. to ask a question, and I keep talking no, over no. You. Well, <clears throat> I guess I I always like the the nitty gritty, and I know that your book goes into all that. And so really what people need to do is buy the book, start reading it and just tackle, you know, a little bit every day. But as you were talking, it reminded me of, I feel like I got this phrase from the book, Never Eat Alone. Have you heard of that book? It's no, is that a, no, (laughs) is that a networking book? It's a networking book. It's like, don't have, basically the idea is don't have lunch alone, always be out there meeting people. And I think I got from that book, this phrase, which I can't quite say correctly, but it's like the power of like loose ties or, uh, small ties, like basically having many small connections is often more effective than having like really, you know, a few really deep connections because people you don't have a very strong connection with can still be extraordinarily helpful in connecting you with your next job, even though you only know them, you know, through a contact once every four months or even, you know, whatever. And I'm wondering, one, is that true? It sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Um, like getting out there and just connecting with people. And it's not like you're becoming super tight with all these people, but on some level you're connecting with a lot of people because you don't necessarily know who can help you and what they know and they don't know about you. It's just increasing that flow of information. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think if you have, I think the first step is getting, you know, if you get, having a goal, right? You have a goal in mind, I want a job and a particular type of job. And then reconnecting with people in your network, whether they're from college, high school, even mm-hmm. if you're currently in law school, your, your, your classmates, if you haven't talked to them in a while. And, you know, the thing about the pandemic that's great um, is it gives you something to just talk about, right? Just that, that alone, just reconnecting. How are you doing? You know, how are you mm-hmm. doing in this craziness? And it's that shared sort of universal experience can be an opener to have these conversations with people that you haven't talked to in six months or a year. I've had so many people just text me like, are you guys okay? 
right? Or when the, when the fires happened out here in California, it, you know, people were texting me. I, I'm not near them, but it's just, it's, it, you have to look for these openers that you get over the awkward phase of where you haven't talked to someone, but it's like a shared experience you can talk about and then move into, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want. Just wanted to update you. And mm-hmm. so I think that's great. And just keeping the strength. I mean, my recent experience with this transition was that I just reconnected back with people in my network and that's how doors opened for me. Yeah. And sometimes it's like a friend of a friend, right? Your friend yeah. is saying, oh, that's that's interesting. You want to do that. I think my other friend said that they had an opening that's similar. Let me connect you. And it's just like, you don't even know that person at all, but that right. is the key to your job or whatever right. your next step is. Right, right. No, it works really well. It's actually incredible. The domino effect of it is it's fascinating. And I couldn't believe even at this stage in my career that it still worked. Cool. So since everything is on face-to-face online now, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm noticing, uh, you know, I'm here with like pajamas on. Ben has got the like shadowy background. You're there with like hair and makeup and the beautiful ocean backdrop <laughs> and everything. Do you have any tips for, uh, you know, like some of our listeners might be about to do an interview for law school. Um, tips on that? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's all it's, it seems obvious to me, but maybe it's not to everyone. I mean, from the waist up, you have to, you have to look done <laughs> like you put some effort into the moment. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that there is something and I, w- I will in the articles I'm writing, I actually have um, and I get this from my 13 year old son. Right. He does YouTube videos. There's like a ring light and it's thirty dollars on Amazon. If you get that and plug it in by your computer, it just, it puts that little thing in your eyes and you just look more alive, Mm -hmm. you look more friendly, right? It's little things like that, having a a separate camera. I have a Logitech camera on top of my computer that just sort of opens up and it just brightens. And and if you are doing interviews actively, even informational interviews, it's worth it, I think, to invest in these kinds of things to just look better. Because this is the world now. This is your, (laughs) this is how you're connecting with people. Or if you're an online LSAT teacher. Or podcaster. (laughs) All of the above. (laughs) All right. Ben, what do you think? Should we step up our game? (laughs) I've always thought about stepping up my game, but I still haven't done it. And I have PJs on. So yeah, yeah, today's been a busy day, actually. Uh, You guys look great. I'm buying what you're selling. So it's all good. That's awesome. Um, Well, Rachel, thanks for uh, stopping by. Ben, do you have other uh, items for Rachel? I think one thing you just said, Rachel, was people have to decide what their goal is, right? And then start reaching out to people. And you also said that, you know, connecting with people you haven't talked to in six months, a year, maybe even longer, right? The the pandemic can be a great way to do that. I'm just wondering if you have any other specific tips for someone to get the ball rolling, right? Someone's listening to this, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. I should try connecting with people. Um I don't know, like, how do you even decide which people you're thinking? You said law school classmates, right? A lot of these listeners are haven't even gone to law school. So right. what, what network do they even look to if they feel oh. like they don't have one? Yeah, but you do. I mean, everyone, I think, is on Facebook or on some kind of a social media. Start there. Like, just start with a list, right, of just people. And if you want to use the six-month metric, people you haven't talked to in a few months, um, you know, since school started or people from high school, old teachers, mm-hmm. right? And just find a way to reconnect. It's actually the way I look at it. It's all an exercise. You're just exercising these muscles to get more comfortable with mm-hmm. yourself in just talking to people. So start, make a list of 10 people 
set a goal, get an accountability partner, have a friend maybe who's in the same situation as you and you guys set a schedule, right? And you just start reaching out and having these kinds of conversations. It's, it's a great transition to becoming a professional because you're mm-hmm. going to have to do this. If you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to have to hustle for business. I don't care, defense, plaintiff, whatever. You're going to have to learn these skills anyway. So it's a really great, great way to exercise these muscles and, you know, this is your world. This is your online world. So you should have that feeling of comfortability in the first place and then just take it, put it on steroids and just take it with you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is you're you're not like in their face. You're just saying, hey, how's it going? And then once it comes up, you say, yeah, you know what? I'm looking for a, a career change. I'm going to do this or I want to do that. And or I'm yeah. planning to go to law school and um trying to talk to people who know about law, you know? Yeah, internships I might be interested in, just just things, skill sets. Do you know anyone else doing this kind of thing? I mean, it's like that. I mean, you're basically, you're building out something that's going to sustain you as you move forward into these transitions in your life. Yeah, cool. That's all. Thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was good to see you guys. Yeah, nice to see you, Rachel. Let's try to not have it be a year and a half. Uh, until no, your for next, sure. Until your next stop. For by. sure. Awesome. All right. I'll see you guys okay. soon. That's Rachel Gezerseh, by the way, uh, G-E-Z-E-R-S-E-H. And she's the author of the Law Career Playbook. I was just going to say, do we want her for the JD MBA question? Oh, right. But... We forgot to ask her about that. That's okay. <laughs> we'll just give our own bullshit opinions. Um, yes. <laughs> hey, before we get into that, uh, what's your uh, prediction about who will be the president of the United States uh, come January? Biden. Yeah? yeah, looking good. Well, I like—I honestly haven't been following it that much because I'm just like, whatever happens, happens. But at the same time, right? Like, aren't they counting votes now? And they're mainly the early votes, and those were leaning Biden. So if he's already ahead, then they're just—he's just going to get more ahead in some of these states. He has so many paths to the presidency. And Trump only has like, like one. It's funny so, because Trump's out there like. Well, this is so suspicious. The more they keep counting the 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 mail-in ballots, the worse it looks for me. And it's like, okay, idiot, do you really want me to explain it to you? Yeah. People who believe in science voted by mail. <laughs> <laughs> Your supporters are stupid. They don't believe in science. They didn't vote by mail. And so, of course, all of the absentee ballots are swinging blue. Of course they are. Yeah. We had a huge wave of people who are, you know, more concerned about COVID and voting by mail this year. And also, I think the enthusiasm of like, you know, there's just a lot more people that are making sure that they're getting out there voting (laughs) or, you know, a few months ago. And so, yeah, duh. As soon as they start counting the absentee ballots, what do you think is going to (laughs) happen? Dumbass. Um, Anyway, I think it's pretty clear uh, whose team we're on here at the Thinking LSAT podcast. And, you know, I think that's because we believe in logic and like reason. I can't say that I'm excited by either choice. But Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying the fact, at all. That, the fact that it's, it's actually kind of like an LSAT question, right? Like D sucks, but it's still by far better than the other four answers. So you got to go with that. And it's hundred percent correct. That's, that's what I did this year. I was like, I don't like either of these choices. They both suck, but Trump is a perpetual liar. And it's just, yeah. it's just so, I, 
I can't really focus on anything else. Yeah. Not that you can't, you got to think about more things than just that. But, you know, even this reaction, like he's like, oh, it's so horrible that they're continuing to count. They're disenfranchising people. What? The fact that they're continuing to count is the act of giving them a vote. Like, it's right. just, it, I, I can't handle it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's he, the one thing I just can't. Handle. He wants them to stop counting in the states where he's winning, and he wants them to keep counting in the states where he's losing. And he's making different legal arguments in every state to try to just get what outcome he wants. Which, hey, I mean, he's a player, right? He's just trying to do everything he can to win. But he yeah. also, I mean, he's just—it's a combination of he's stupid and or a liar. I mean, we know he's a liar for sure. Yeah, And I think he's actually pretty dumb, too. I mean, the way he speaks and just his whole smarmy, ugh, he's just, it's really distasteful. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, maybe next week we'll have a little bit more clarity. It's not going to be over. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping that it will be over. Okay, let's yeah. move into um, our other items. You want to take this first email? Sure. So this is the JDMBA email. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I studied with the demon and raised my diagnostic score of a 144 to a 164 on the LSAT Flex. I attribute the increase in points to the demon. The online classes were engaging, informative, and surprisingly fun! Exclamation point. A big thank you to you both. Cool. I'm having so much fun still teaching my classes. I look forward to, I'm teaching Tuesday and Thursday nights and we have a ball. I mean, it's like a riot every time. So yeah, it's always nice to hear from a student. No, that's, that's awesome. My question pertains to the usefulness of a JD MBA. I'm going to tell you right now before I read the rest of this, <laughs> do not do it. Do one or the I other. Know. And okay. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You want to say anything about that? No, I just I have a JD and an MBA, and I wish I had neither. Um, that's because <laughs> I don't practice law. If I wanted to practice law, yeah. I would definitely need to use my JD. Uh, yep. My MBA, I don't think it did anything for me at all. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. So L continues, I will most likely attend a lower-ranked school and aspire to be begin my career as a corporate transactional attorney. Okay, then get a JD. You don't need the know-how yeah. no. that you're going to get from an MBA. No. An MBA is a networking, expensive networking program. That's it. Will the MBA degree help my chances of getting into big law? No. No. High grades will right. get your chances up <laughs> right. and a good law school simple. and a high LSAT score. Yes. <laughs> uh, and or help in providing the knowledge, knowledge needed to become a successful corporate attorney. Nope. No. All the knowledge you'll need actually will come from your job, probably not the JD. Uh, JD will help a little bit. I realize that class ranking is the most important factor in career prospects. Um, I don't know if that's true. That's I think Rachel claim. would say networking is, mm -hmm. you know, the most important factor for your career prospects. Um, which, you know, provides a little bit of a counterpoint to this MBA deal. I, I just think it's a very expensive way to network. And for $15, you could buy the law career playbook and do all those <laughs> exercises. I promise you that would be more useful for your more legal effective, career. More targeted, than right? An you're, MBA. You're, yeah, I agree. With that, I'm worried that my GPA will suffer if I pursue both degrees. It will. Reasonable, so yeah. don't. Thanks and praise. Thanks again and praise the demon. Um,. Then he did the praying emoji and the yeah, high five the hand, emoji, exclamation high five, point. Yeah. 
I don't understand that's how preach. that's a high five. Huh? Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what is this emoji? I thought it was a high ten, but maybe it's like preach. Oh, high ten. Hmm. But then he. I don't I ever mean, do high tens. Do you do high tens? Uh, if only if it's like fucking <laughs> something serious, dude. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, that doesn't happen very often. No. I'm, no. I'm more okay. of like a just you know fist bump. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, or kind of like a nod. Especially right? like, COVID. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> he left out the demon emoji. So, you know, yeah, A minus email. No, okay. that's <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot for writing in, Al. Um, yeah, man. I mean, my joke is always, you know, I, I went to the most entrepreneurial business school in the country, Babson College, and got mm-hmm. an MBA. And I had fun, but it was like cocktail parties and PowerPoints. I mean, that's all we really did. And the only thing I learned there was that any idiot can start a business. I was thinking about it yesterday, actually, like kind of going through my colleagues in my class. I think like every single one of us started our own business. Everybody was just like, yeah, we, we can do it. Like they just, everybody. Yeah. But it was like looking around the room, it was not the like cream of the crop, you know, it was not like the masters of the universe. It was just a bunch of like normal people who had a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak. We went to business school. I don't think we learned shit except for looking around the room. And I'm like, if that idiot can do it, you know, like I know that guy's already starting a business. Yeah. If he can do it, then definitely I can do it. And um, so, I mean, that was valuable, but would it be worth paying $50,000 a year for two years to get that degree. I don't even have my degree anymore. I don't do anything with my degree. I don't have yeah. you know, a resume. I, I just can't. No. JD trumps the MBA. If you want to practice law, you need the JD. You do not need the MBA. I, I think you need the MBA if you want to go into a management training program at a fortune 500 company. Yeah. I think that's what that's for. Um, as far as like the knowledge People, it's funny, Ben, they think they're going to learn things when they go to school. They don't understand that it's not about the education. It's about the signaling, right? Yep. <laughs> you get in to whatever school, it means something. You make your way through the three years, jumping through all the hoops. They certify, you know, they stamp your diploma and you get to yeah. put it on your resume and it means something the, to have yep. that label. But it's not like you're going to learn the secrets of corporate, you know, dealings or whatever. Yeah. You're going to take some lame finance classes and some accounting classes and some economics classes or whatever. And it's not like that stuff is bad, but you could also learn that stuff much more efficiently on Wikipedia. Yep. You know, hundred percent. I mean, well also, you know, the job that I had for five years after I finished law school was legal writing consulting. And this was going to all of the firms, not just, not just any old mid tier firm. We're talking the best firms in the world are hiring the company that I worked for, the guy I worked for to come in and get their new associates <laughs> up to speed. Even though like, their new associates went to, to Stanford and Harvard and Yale, Yale Harvard, and yep. Columbia mm-hmm. and Georgetown or whatever. And then Ben's in there like, well, <laughs> look at your shitty brief and here's how you actually <laughs> are supposed to be doing this stuff. Yeah. You, you learn on the job much more than you learn, um, 
in the actual classroom. I, I guess one more thing that I want to say is lawyers are expected to be excellent researchers. So if you, you know, when, yeah, if you go into big law, I mean, and the way to do that again is to go to a good school, get really, really good grades, um, kick ass in your summer, uh, jobs, uh, get hired while you're still a 2L or 3L and go right into the firm. Once you're in the firm, if you encounter, you know, some derivatives financing deal or something, they're going to expect you not to know that shit, but to be able to research that shit enough so that you can learn what you need to learn. Learning how to learn. That's the real skill. And I hope you're doing that as you're studying for the LSAT too. Like how do you effectively study? I'm helping my oldest son study for the SAT and I'm repeating everything we say on this podcast over and over. You, I don't want you to do that many questions. I want you to right. review them. I want you to be able to explain them back to me. And it's like, oh yeah, I reviewed it, but I can't remember now. Well, it's learning how to learn. Yeah. But you're supposed to be good at doing the research to figure out what you need to know. And, um, you're not, you're not going to learn that stuff in business school. You're going to learn it in your first few years. Actually, you're going to continually keep learning throughout your career, developing whatever expertise you need for whatever cases are in front of you. So JD MBA, I mean, this is probably the 10th time we've talked about it on the show, but I just, I do not see it a need for it at all. Let's just make this final once and for all. You either get a JD or an MBA or neither. Yeah. Those are your three options in life. That's it. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, the only reason why I ended up with an MBA and a JD is because I is accidental. You know, I just had no, I was casting about in life trying to figure out what the right thing for me was. And turns out I really don't use either of my graduate degrees at all. Um, it was just a like searching kind of a, of a process. If yeah. this guy knows that he wants to go into big law, then that's clear. JD, good grades, you know, maybe a clerkship or something. Um, MBA and has networking. nothing to do with it. Yeah. And, oh, well, and always networking. Yeah. Yep. Law career playbook, Rachel Gezer say. Okay. Um, Hi, Ben and Nathan. I recently quit a two-year master's in rhetorical communication halfway through after realizing that becoming a communications professor wasn't for me. Uh, this summer, one of my professors let me know that I could earn a graduate certificate in rhetorical leadership by completing one more class, which is offered in the spring of 2021. Should I take this class and earn the certificate before applying to law school? <laughs> what the heck is rhetorical leadership? <laughs> uh, dude, schools these days have no shame whatsoever. I mean, they're just... Anyone who uses the word rhetorical, by the way, I'm really sorry. A, I just hate that word. It's like, what does it mean? It means words. Like, seriously. Yeah, if I use it, I don't think... Well, I mean, in the context of a rhetorical question, maybe. Sure. You could use rhetorical question or like accusing something of being rhetoric, but that's this negative connotation, right? Like, right. I don't know. An MA in rhetorical communication? What? Other, what? 
I'm surprised that an MA is enough to make you a communications professor in the first place. I would imagine that you would need a PhD. Okay, so now this question is just, uh, should I take this one more class to get this certificate? My gut is telling me it doesn't matter. I don't give doesn't a shit. Doesn't matter. Like, do yeah. it, don't do it. Who cares? Um, on Put the it one on hand, your resume. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, this certificate would look nice on my resume and could improve my standing in the minds of my former professors, leading to slightly stronger letters of recommendation. Oh wow! Brutally overthinking it here. Your professors yeah. aren't going to give a shit about that. It would also get, give me the pride of having finished what I started, albeit for a certificate instead of a degree. Further, this class incorporates a lot of critical analysis of rhetorical arguments and might sharpen my mind for the LSAT and for law school. Maybe. It's possible. Sure. <clears throat> it also might confuse you i've i've had students who studied formal logic who have names for things yeah that i don't have names for and i was talking about this with my class the other night i never studied any kind of formal logic whatsoever and i was pretty damn good at the lsat from jump you know i studied economics and like took some computer science classes and that type of shit but it wasn't it certainly wasn't formal logic and rhetoric and all that and <clears throat> like having names for various different fallacies. Do you think that helps? No, if anything, it confuses. It's, it's almost, I wouldn't say it always confuses, but it often does. I mean, once you learn the sufficient for necessary flaw, and once you learn the common sense, correlation does not mean causation flaw, you know, keep an eye out for reversal of cause and effect. Those are common sense things. Beyond that, having a name for all these different fallacies and all these different arguments, you know, that's inductive reasoning versus deductive reasoning. I haven't said that shit once in any of my classes in 10 oh, years. Didn't you see the difference there? That was deductive. Ergo, what? Oh, I'm like, huh? <laughs> no, the answer is D though. Like yeah. <laughs> I predicted the answer. I didn't have anything to do with deductive versus whatever, you know, like a reductive, this, right. Whatever that is. Latin <laughs> ad absurdium or whatever. It's like, I don't know any of that shit. I, I did not go to a fancy school where, you know, I didn't, I never studied Latin and I, I don't I, like, it's very straightforward. Um, at UC Davis. But anyway, on the other hand, so this is the other side of the argument now. On the other hand, taking a graduate level class in the spring would cut into my LSAT study time. I currently study five days a week and I plan to take the LSAT in January, February, and possibly April. That sounds pretty good. This graduate class will begin shortly after the January LSAT and would potentially interfere with my studying for the February and April tests. Really? I mean, I guess this person must have a job as well. Because otherwise, you don't need to be studying 40 hours a week for the LSAT. Although I'm hoping for the best, I want to be able to study extra for the February and April tests in case I bomb in January and taking a grad class might interfere with that. Also, do schools even look at graduate school grades and or programs? What should I do? Praise the demon. Thanks for your time, A. Thanks for writing in, A. What do you think about that last question? 
Are schools going to give a shit whether this person has the certificate on their resume? I don't think so. I mean, the only thought I had was like, there is this kind of weird sense, like you started something and you didn't finish it. I think if I were law school, I'd be worried. Are you going to start law school and not finish? Am I admitting you for no reason? Um, so would a certificate then like give the air of like, oh, I completed what I set out to accomplish? I don't know. Yeah. So maybe um, a personal, you know, a very compelling personal statement that makes the clear case for law school. You know, maybe the, yeah. maybe the, uh, A needs to tell the story of how he or she went from this MA in rhetorical communication, how, how, how they realized that like, oh, actually JD is the thing for me. That might matter. Um, I don't think schools give a shit about your graduate school grades because mm -hmm. most graduate school programs are money grabs by the school and they just give everybody A's in every class. And so, you know, like, I can't tell you how many students are like, well, I had a 2.9 in my undergrad, but then I, I, I did a master's and I had a 3.8 in that. And it's like, yeah, you and everybody else. It's just not hard to get good grades in grad school. They know you don't need that degree. And so they're not going like, to give you C's in your first, <laughs> your first classes because they don't want you to drop out. So they're, oh, you're doing very well. Wow. A pluses all across the board. <laughs> you're a star, <laughs> you know. I feel like if A is not working, A should take this class. I agree. Like a is doing too much LSAT, too much thinking about nuance that doesn't matter. The 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 slightly stronger letters of recommendation, they're either going to be good or they're going to be bad. No one's going to care much more than that. Like either the person has nice things to say no. about you or they're like neutral that's, or negative. That's a, that was the weirdest thing in this email was thinking that the professors are going to write better letters of recommendation because of the certificate. That makes no sense. They're, they're supposed to be writing about their experience with you in their classes. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to be looking at your resume and like, oh, and yeah, she did such a great job at the ice cream parlor that I see that she worked at because I have her resume in my hand. I mean, that doesn't, what, what's that have to do with anything? Um, but yeah, I mean, finish it up. Cause it's just one more class. How hard could it possibly be? It's funny. The graduate, you know, on the other hand, taking a graduate level class in the spring <laughs> would cut into my LSAT study time. It's like, Law I have school is three <laughs> graduate degrees, but yeah. Do you know yeah. how hard any of those classes were? Not at all. They were they're the same. They're the same as undergrad, honestly. Uh, well, easier than undergrad. <laughs> really? Because <Yeah. laughs> there's not this grading pressure. Yeah. Uh, shout out to UC Davis, man. Um, UC Davis is not a like highfalutin place. I was there the other day. I just happened to be passing through town. I went for a walk out in the UC Davis Arboretum with uh, my buddy mm. Andy and his kids. And uh, it's a beautiful spot. If you're ever passing through Central Valley, California, it's basically the only good place in the Central Valley of California is Davis. And the University of California at Davis is like kind of like Star Trek. It has that like living in the future type of a thing. It's like a really, really nice town, really nice campus. And... Uh, those classes had some rigor. I mean, uh, like it was possible to fail those classes. 
and I, it, I, it was not possible to fail my graduate classes. Not hmm. none of them. You could not, if you showed up and took the final exam, you were not, you were not failing. Hmm. And at Davis, you could fail <laughs> Davis. They were like, Oh, you, you know, we have a curve and you are significantly behind the curve and you get an F <laughs> that doesn't yeah. happen in uh, graduate school really. So finishing up this one last class, get the certificate by all means, maybe you learn something, but I don't think it's going to like make you better at the LSAT. And I definitely don't think it's the professors are going to give any shit for your letters of recommendation. I don't think the schools, law schools are looking at your undergraduate GPA and your LSAT score first. Then they're looking at your personal statement. I don't think maybe the certificate helps with the personal statement or, or as you were saying, Ben, makes it so that they don't have to quite explain why they didn't finish the program. It's just like, oh, yeah, I did a certificate program mm-hmm. <clears throat> rather than, oh, yeah, here's some transcripts of some random classes I took. <laughs> but even that's not that bad, is it? Like, surely taking classes can't be bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think thanks for writing in a I, I do think you're overthinking it a little bit. Um. <sighs> Pearls versus turds time. All righty. Explain to the audience, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we take wisdom from listeners who have gotten this wisdom from usually the internet or social media, and they want to know, is it legit? Is it a pearl? Is it something I should incorporate into my study regimen, or is it a turd? Uh, So far, of all the advice we've reviewed... (laughs) We've only seen nine pearls. We've seen 37 turds and 21 ties, which really means we're looking at 58 turds and nine <laughs> pearls. Yeah, ties are basically turds. Ties are things that we're not going to say in our classes. And we're not going to say in our classes, and we're too afraid to tell you that it's <laughs> For some reason, it's our own inadequacy. Um, Olivia. You write, hi, Thinking LSAT team. I've been working on writing my personal statement, and I recently sent it to my university's pre-law advisor. Okay, well, oh, this boy. is always bad. <laughs> I don't know why they're always bad to review. I thought I that I would I wonder if any pre-law advisors listen to the show. You know what? It, it's, it's very telling. We have never received an email from a pre-law advisor. Let me think about this for a second. Pre-law advisors supposedly are professionals at providing their students advice about pre-law shit. Mm -hmm. We've been doing the podcast now for six years, something like that. We have 271 episodes as of today. It's free. These pre-law advisors could be listening to it in their cars. We've never heard one thing good or bad like nobody's ever written in to say hey i think you guys give terrible advice or hey i think you guys give great advice i think maybe our listeners need to share the thinking else that podcast with their pre-law advisors it almost seems like that should be part of their job to listen to us i mean at least they could listen to it in the car and get some laughs but okay anyway sorry for the interruption if you're a pre-law advisor and you're jumping up and down in your seat because you're like, I listen to the podcast, email us. Yeah, help at thinkinglset.com. We would love to hear from you. That would be awesome, actually. And I totally mean it. If we're wrong, tell us we're wrong. We're men of science. We would love to be corrected. Really? I'm not... 
And if I your mean, email's impressive enough, we'll have you on the show. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then you'll yeah. be LSAT famous. It's just puzzling. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Email, email us. We'd, we'd love to know. If you like us, let us know. If you hate us, let us know. Help yep. at thinkinglsat.com. Okay. Cool. So anyways, uh, Olivia reached out to her pre-law advisor. Um, I thought that I would send along her advice and see if it is a pearl or a turd. Great. Okay. Here's her advice in quotes. Law schools, when asking for a personal statement, want, to, want you to talk about yourself. Ding. That's 100%. Correct. Yes. Yep. They actually want a personal story. And what they are concerned with is do you have the drive to be in law school? Okay. I think they are concerned about that on some level. I don't, uh, my concern about that advice is that people are going to start like writing a personal statement about how they're committed to this and they want to do this and why law school. It's not about adjectives and adverbs. It's about yeah. what you actually did. So if you can show me drive, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Matt Dumont's personal statement showed drive. Yes. Right? But it showed it. Or not not described. It didn't say I I am <laughs> the type of person who <laughs> discovers problems and then, you know, solves that. I, I take a lot of initiative. It wasn't like that with these big, broad conclusions. Instead, it was just specifically a personal work story that Matt told where basically the business that he worked at was about to go under and he seems like rescued the business. And that showed a lot of drive that showed so much drive that Ben and I were like, yeah, you're hired. Yep. We hired him from his personal statement. By the way, (laughs) um, don't make the mistake too, that we see often, thankfully we've seen it less, maybe because people are um, hearing the show or something, but you know, those statements where someone's like, I have research writing, you know, skills. Describe all the skills that they think law school, that's like lawyer. Yeah. Lawyers would have, Mm -hmm. and then say, I have them. Therefore, I would be good for law school. You're like, what? You're telling this right. to the law schools? They know what's good for them. And also, you're just telling them. So, okay. Anyways, so I, I, as long as this advice is not misunderstood, so far, so good. Drive can be a very great, a very productive topic, but it's just got to be showing, not telling. So I'm, I'm not, this is not yet made it, it's not leaning yet to <laughs> leaning. It's not yet leaning, Ben. One way or the other. It's too too <laughs> early to call the pearl versus turd here. Okay. Think about something that moved you, something that made you realize that you had passion to overcome. I think the word here is something. Um, overcome something. Had leaderships, leadership skills, had a drive. This sentence seems a little bit broken. This is now um, leaning turd because it mentioned the word passion. Also, something that made you realize that you had passion. That's going to be an origin story. The origin stories are almost always horrible. Um, So this is now leaning into the turd pile. Mm -hmm. I would say it is a turd because at this point, someone's going to start writing about their origin stories and then they're going to say, and this is why I am so committed or passionate about... One more sentence and then we can officially make it a turd. Okay. 
Those are the types of personal statements they are looking for. So that doesn't do anything. Yeah, no. If you can show me passion, fine. But you have to do that by showing me the things that you actually did. I don't care about the yep. moment where you realized. I care about what you did after you realized. So... Sure. Drive can be fine, but yeah, the, the, I hate, I, I don't know what pre-law advisors are doing, man. They want to say something that people like to hear. Someone comes into her office and says, Hey, I need help with my personal statement. She's practiced different things over the years and realized that people like to hear this. They're like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. It makes sense. It's it, very like, it's very like super basic is my, it, it feels like, is this your first day as a pre-law advisor? Like, did you just come off the street? And, you know, if you ask somebody on the street, like, Hey, I have to write a personal statement for law school. What do you think I should include? I can mm -hmm. imagine a complete total novice just being like, um, well, write about, write about what made you want to go into the law. Like, when did you realize that? Did you realize that when you hit your head on the corner of the bath? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to be universally reviled by all other humans? Hmm. Uh, why? Maybe right about that. No, um, the drive thing is fine. But yeah, the this just seems like amateur advice. I don't, there's nothing special or different or... Uh, this, yeah, I think it's going to be a turd. You want to read the rest of uh, Olivia's yeah. email? Yeah, Olivia says, I wasn't quite sure what to make of this advice. Good. I have tried to take your advice into consideration and write about actually doing something instead of describing what I am passionate about. Her advice has me wondering if I've missed the mark with my personal statement, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Since my advisor has torn it apart already, I really have nothing to lose. Any thoughts on her advice or my personal statement would be very much appreciated. Wait, did you include your personal statement? Um, feel free to use my name on the show. I'm a big fan and appreciate all of your hard work on the podcast and the demon. Well, thank you, Olivia. Um, I can't tell whether you sent in your personal statement, but that would be a lot easier. It's a lot easier to just <laughs> jump into the statement and say, this sounds good or it doesn't sound It sounds sound like good. she did, but Annalisa gets uh, you know inundated with personal statements. By the way, if you want to send in your personal statement, it's help at thinkinglsat.com. We cannot cover all of them on the show. It would be very boring if we covered a personal statement every single episode, but we do them from time to time. Um, Olivia, you're, you're, I think your advisor is wrong. Um, to the extent that you can show me drive and show me passion, that's great. But if you want to tell me about drive and tell me about passion, anyone can do that. Anyone could make that shit up. And if anyone could make that shit up, then that's not personal. So you have to tell me a personal story about you. And it's never, I think or I feel, or I want, or I learned, or whatever. Those, it's Stop talking about your mental state and your... You can't talk about your drive and your passion and your desire and, and, and your feelings. You can't... It's, I don't know. I mean, that's... There's different schools of thought, I suppose, but 
here at Thinking LSAT World, we're much more interested in evidence. Lawyers are driven by evidence. Lawyers are driven by facts. The people reading your personal statement are lawyers, largely. And if you can demonstrate the passion by the shit you've actually done, then great. Maybe your current version of your personal statement isn't demonstrating these attributes. And so maybe you should rethink which anecdotes, which stories you're telling in the personal statement to highlight different aspects of your candidacy. But you can't be telling me about them. You have to be showing me them. That's the most important thing. Yeah. To try to make this as visual as possible, people say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's what happens when people start telling origin stories. They're like, oh, I realized that I want to help poor people or immigrants or whatever. It's like, (laughs) who cares? So many people in their life have realized, oh, I wish I could have done better. What the hell have you done with that realization? If you haven't done anything, then there's nothing to talk about. It's the most boring thing anybody talks about ever, right? Like, this year I really want to start exercising more this year. I really want to start eating better this year. I really want to, you know, um, sleep more. I want to go start going to bed early. I want to drink less. I want to whatever, you know? And yeah, that's part of the human condition is that we, we have things we would like to do, but it's much more compelling to hear about the things that people actually did. Yeah. I exercised every day this year and I'm this much stronger. Wow. Okay. Tell me about that. What'd you do? How'd you do it? Yeah. It's just, it's just demonstrates. It means so much more, you know, and, and like the fact that you went to the gym today tells me so much more than I want to get in shape. Hmm. You know, that's only just, what's one data point. That's a one visit to the gym. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, means you found a gym, you yeah. dedicated the time you're doing you... it. Yeah. You yeah. did it today. One day in a row. Great. Good for you. That's all we have is like this moment. Right. So you did it right now. You did it. You're doing it. Great. But doing it is the thing, not the talking about it, not the wanting to do it, not the desire and drive and passion to do it, but the actual <laughs> doing it. <laughs> okay. I have so much passion about my future exercising program. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like how people tell you how committed they are while they're on the couch, you know, eating ruffles. And mm-hmm. okay, well, you're not committed right now. <laughs> um. Okay. The only other, the only other thing I want to say to Olivia, and I, this is really to everyone out there, my sense of pre-law advisors is that they have been given this job. It's not their primary focus, and therefore they don't care. Not that they don't care about you, but they don't care enough about law school and the application process to really get their minds wrapped around what is good advice. Mm-hmm. We do this every day. This is mm-hmm. all we do. So even though no one's ever told me, oh, you're a pre-law advisor, and I wouldn't even call myself that. I don't think of myself as that. I think of myself as an S- LSAT expert. LSAT teacher, but yeah. we do this every day, and so it's like, right. okay, we know more than all these other people. It's where you go to those rooms, and you're like, oh, I feel like I don't know anything. And then you realize no one else knows as much as you do, and you're like blown away. 
yeah, the pre-law advisors, I mean, I, yeah, I think they mean well, but they will, there's a couple different types, right? Some of them are these like multi, they're just career counselors, basically, like yeah. for, for all careers. If they're a career counselor for all careers, they don't have any specific expertise in law school. They got too many other things going on. Yep. They got people who are applying to PhDs in mathematics and people who are applying to med school and business school and law school is just one small thing. And, you know, they're going to like know the, about the LSAT and they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll have like the very rudimentary basics, but that's it. They're not going to have, they're not going to know shit. And the other type of pre-law advisor that I've seen, they'll be a professor. So <clears throat> one guy who I really liked, I don't think he's there anymore, unfortunately, but, um, Professor Brian Buckley, shout out to Dr. Buckley uh, at Santa Clara University. He was there. He was a, a professor in the philosophy department, and he also was the pre-law advisor for uh, Santa Clara undergrads. He was a really smart guy, like super thoughtful, you know, very passionate about his job and like really committed to the students. And you could tell because he was like constantly organizing events on campus and stuff. You know, he, he's, he was like doing extra shit and, yeah. and I thought, I thought he was great and, and wanted to learn more. You know, he would talk to me and like try to learn <laughs> about law school admissions. And, and it's like, yeah, that's okay. That's the guy we're looking for. But I, and now he's not the guy anymore at Santa Clara, apparently. So I haven't met the new um, pre-law advisor yet, but I hope to uh, sometime soon. Overall, though, man, Ben and I both, it's funny. As soon as we read it in the email, I asked my pre-law advisor. We're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're asking the right person. Okay. Um, yeah. Ready for the next email? Thank you, Olivia, yep. by the way. Uh, but, hi, Ben and Nathan. I hope this message finds you well. My starting LSAT score was 137 slash 138. I am currently scoring 153 slash 154. <laughs> That's about a 15 slash 16 point <laughs> jump. <laughs> Actually, it's a 15 slash 17 point jump, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go from 137 to 154. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I started off pretty low and have made my way up to an average score but I don't think the mid one fifties is competitive. I've already made about a 15 point jump. Is it possible to make an even bigger jump to the low one sixties or mid one sixties? Part of me thinks people don't make a bigger jump than that. Another part of me thinks there's still a lot to learn and I can jump an additional seven points or so. Is it more realistic to keep the mid one fifties score scoring seven or more points? more would make it a 20 something point jump. Yeah. I just don't know how realistic that is. There isn't a certain question stem that I get wrong. I get a little bit of everything wrong. Best uh, score curious. I think Annalisa said, refer to me as anything you'd like without my name. So I think Annalisa named this person score curious. Cool. Well, the short answer to your question is it's not unreasonable to keep going. I always think of it as you're at where you're at and it could be day one or day 365. I don't care where are you at. Are you willing to keep studying? Let's keep going. These days with the LSAT demon 
20 point improvements are not even that rare. We see it all the time. We have letters on every show, it seems like, with people who improved by 20 points. Mm-hmm. And uh, score curious here, it, you know, okay, let's say it was a 25 point jump that we were talking about or a 30 point jump that we were talking about. If score curious hadn't already improved by 15 points or whatever that is, then I would go, hmm, boy, 30 point improvement, pretty tough. Starting at 137, how likely is it that you're going to make it to 167? Well, not everybody's going to make it to 167 from 137. It's a, you know, it's going to be a grind. Yeah. But score curious has already improved by 15 or 16 points. So the 20 point or 25 point or 30 point jump is no longer even relevant. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. This is someone who already has made the improvement. This is the same. I'm saying the same thing you were saying, Ben, in a different way. Right. Yeah. Right now you're a 153, 154. And when we see people come to us with a 153, 154, we almost always are like, Oh yeah. One sixties. No problem. Yep. If you can score in the mid one fifties, you should be able to make it to the one sixties. I don't know how much preparation score curious has done. You know, if, if this was like, well, I've already done every else hat three times. Sure. Then I might be like, "Eh, okay, probably need to change the way you've been studying to try to make it to one sixty something. Not impossible, but it's, it would make it less likely if you had already done every single test. Yes, if you if you've squeezed the orange dry, right? Then we're but if you've say, only okay. done, if you've only done t- n- normal, you know, probably what 10, 15, 20 tests, something like that, that that score that a typical student would have done in this situation. If you've been studying for three months or six months or something like that, absolutely no reason why you can't make it into the one sixties. And I would even say to those who have just studied as hard as they possibly can and they feel like they've hit this ceiling, so many times I start talking to them one-on-one and you're like, wait, you're not reviewing? Or (laughs) you're doing every question in the section and you're scoring in the 150s? Like There are some very simple changes that could dramatically change the way you learn, but you're like pounding the pavement in the wrong way. Yeah. You're like trying to ride your bike in first gear and you're like, I can't get any faster. And you're sweating profusely because you're not doing it the right way. Yeah. Up the gear. Ben, how likely is it to flip heads four times in a row? That's a good question. Is it 12.5%, something like that? 50 well, times 50 times 50 times 50. That's what it is. 50% uh, half times a half times a half times a half. Yeah. One in 16, right? Half times a half times a half times a half, one in 16. So is it unlikely to flip heads four times in a row? Yes. How likely is it to flip heads four times in a row if you've already flipped heads twice? Well, now it's only 25%, right? Now it's it's one in four. Yeah, Yeah, one in four. Right. And and if you've flipped heads three times in a row, then flipping heads four times in a row is one, one in two. So that's score curious is, is not thinking about it correctly, right? Score curious has, is already halfway there. So score, you're already more than halfway there into the one sixties. So the fact that you started at one thirty seven is irrelevant. I don't give a shit. I care where you are now and where you have to get to. And so, yeah, it's, you know, this is uh, not to shit on pre-law advisors for the entire show, but, um, 
I think that is a thing that I've heard out there from pre-law advisors. Like, you know, most people don't improve their LSAT score by that much. That's yeah. very, da- that's damaging, very dangerous advice to give to a student. You know, look at score curious is like wanting to be realistic. Yeah. They say it multiple times in the, in this email. Should I be realistic? Should I just keep, look at that. Is it more realistic to keep the mid one fifties score? In other words, like, should I just give up? Should I just stop here? Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) You should not go to law school with a score in the low one fifties. You need to get a score in the one sixties, then go to law school. Um, thanks for writing in. Um, no reason why you can't make it to the one sixties. Hey, you want to do another, uh, thought experiment? I don't know how yes. much time you have today. I have all the time in the world. Um, Go for it. I heard this on the podcast the other day. It was on the okay. po- poker podcast that I listened to. Um, sure. Take a roulette wheel, put the ball in whatever given number. Okay. Uh, flip a coin. And if it's heads, the ball goes clockwise. And if it's tails, the ball goes counterclockwise. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every time the ball enters a new slot on the wheel, you mark that slot, okay? Like you paint it or the ball has paint on it or whatever. And so the, the slot gets okay. marked. Okay. Sure. Say you had to pick a slot that was going to be the least likely slot to be painted last. Right. If the you eventually least likely? the least likely or well, which one do you think is most likely to be painted last? Mm-hmm. Just for simplicity, let's say it goes from zero to 60. I'm ignoring the double zero. Let's say it goes from zero to 60 and mm-hmm. we start in the Here's, zero. Start on the zero. Okay. So and one many, is on many, one side. And no, no, does no. It, yeah. We're not, we're not spinning the wheel. We're flipping a coin and then the ball either goes one way or the other way. Oh. So on the oh. first flip, it's going to be in the one or the 60. Well, in my mind, it's going to be the one that's the furthest away because you can be going back and forth. It is going to go back and forth, right? It's going to take a long yeah. ass time to paint every single slot all the way around the wheel. Yeah. And the ball's going to go. You're going to like get a this. lot of paint up top. <laughs> the ball's going to go like this, right? Yeah. Around and around. Okay. Yeah. So you think the ones right next to the zero are the more likely to get hit first because that's where the ball starts? Oh, is that interesting? So you're saying that like once you go in one direction, everyone thinks the one the the like the thirty right is the that's the one you would pick. If I forced you to pick which one's going to get painted last, everybody would say, well, the thirty or the 29 or whatever it is. Like they would look at the other side of the wheel and say, well, the ball has to get all the way there to get it. So therefore it has to be, you know, it's, it's most likely to be painted last. Yeah. That's what everybody thinks. But once you, I got you. But once you start going, then it's really, it's a new center, right? Right. So now what do you think? So then it doesn't, what do you think the odds are? Of, of what? Getting to the 30 or just describe, yeah. Describe, the slots chances. Like, what do you think each, is there a relationship? I mean, Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you I can know. pause the podcast here if you would like to think about it for a little <laughs> while um, before I spoil it for you. But, uh, 
apparently, as it turns out, uh, every slot on the wheel has an exact identical chance of being the one painted last. Even the, the slot right next to the zero. That's the real counterintuitive part because the 60 and the one, they each have a 50% chance of being painted immediately. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but think about what has to happen in order for the 30 to be painted last. You have to avoid it as well. Well, right? you have to go all the way around the wheel to either the 31 or the 29. Yeah. And then go all the way back around the wheel, all the way <laughs> yeah. until you get to the, to the, the other one. Right. Yeah. So that 30 has to have both slots painted right next to it anyway. Yeah. And so as it turns out, every slot on the wheel has an identical chance of being the last one painted. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Even the ones <laughs> that are right next to the zero. Huh? Right. Yeah, if you're it, right, if you if you pick, I mean, most people wouldn't do this, but if you were like, oh, I think the zeros, or I, sorry, I think the one is going to be painted last, you yeah. know, and it's like a fifty fifty chance that it's immediately eliminated on the first yeah. flip, but in order for that to be the last one, it just you have to win the first toss, and then it has to go all the way around the wheel before it comes back to you. And it's pretty unlikely because yeah. you start flipping, it's going to be heads, heads, tails, tails, heads, 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 tails, tails, tails. Yeah, you know? yeah. like, it's going to go like this a lot. So it's, it's, well, obviously there's only a one in 60 chance that you're going to be the last one painted because there's 60 slots. That's still like weird. I, I, I <laughs> feel like I'd weird. have to go through the proof because <laughs> even if it's not like 30, like just something further away would seem to be have a, like a higher chance than... <laughs> Uh, but think about it, because in order for it to be 30, it has to get all the way to the 29 and then go back all the way around the wheel to get to the 31. That's the only well, all way that, that says it can to be me is 30. that their chances are really low, but I guess that is true. It's, it's extremely unlikely that any one is going to be the last slot. It's a 1 in 60 chance for every single one that they're going to be the last slot. But that is, it is weird, because it, it has to go all the way around the wheel in order to cover everything but one. Anyway... I'm going to, um, actually, maybe I can put this out there for the listeners. I love shit like that. I love puzzles like that. seems like Ben, you are into that too. Little sure. fun yeah. thought experiments, right? Yeah. If yeah. you have, uh, puzzlers for us like that, please email help at thinking Um, I think that would be fun to have. It reminds of me of thinking fast, thinking slow, right? By Daniel yeah, Kahneman. Totally. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, to cut you, but like you have these like gut reactions. Yep. Evolution has given us this like cool system that's really fast it's not always accurate but it's better to be certain about something and inaccurate than constantly questioning your reality <laughs> this is how scientific thinkers think i mean i mean it when i say that ben and i are people of science we're we're open to the possibility that we're wrong we're not just i mean we do make snap judgments all the time mm -hmm. but we're open to hearing alternative explanations and then changing our minds. Yeah. Uh, that's what I hope for all of our students as well. It, there actually is an LSAT tip in there. I mean, you know, that student Ben, who is just so sure they understand and just won't let go of answer choice B 
and like they just want to explain to you over and over and over why B is a better answer and why LSAC is wrong. <laughs> LSAC's wrong and you know and then <laughs> and and you're trying to explain it to them but they just won't listen. That's not the student who's going to improve the most. You have to be open to <laughs> you have to be open to the possibility that you're wrong sometimes. Yeah. All right. Logical reasoning time. Let's do it. Prep test 65, section four, question 11. If you're playing along at home, this would be a good time to pause the show, pause the video, pause the podcast and actually attempt this question on your own. Try to get it right. Mm -hmm. And uh, then listen to us explain it. How do you want to do this? For some reason, I was just imagining someone driving and doing that. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, no, and no, one, no one would ever do that. But then, you know, we just do stupid things sometimes. We're like, oh, I have the demon. I can find this. No, you can't. Put your phone down. Okay, Rolanda. The house on Oak Avenue has a larger yard than any other house we've looked at in Prairie View. So that's the best one to rent. <laughs> Okay, so if the size of the yard is the only thing that matters, then and large is better than small, then this makes sense. But it seems like there could be so many other things that matter. That's what or, I'm thinking. Yep. Immediately you should be you should be trying to attack that. Rolanda has provided a premise that the house on Oak Avenue has a larger yard than any other house we've looked at in Prairie View. Her conclusion is that's the best one to rent. She uses the word so there, which tells us that she has provided a premise before the so and then a conclusion after the so. And our job on LSAT logical reasoning is to call bullshit on people's conclusions. So I'm not arguing that, yeah, yeah, this one has the biggest yard. I, I'll give you that. Biggest yard of the ones you've looked at, by the way. It doesn't mean it has the biggest yard, period. It has the biggest yard of the ones you've looked at. Yeah. Yep. So that's a problem too. And I then her conclusion is, that. so that's the best one to rent. She doesn't say, so that's the best one of the ones we've looked at to rent. She says, that's the best one to rent, period. That's a big problem. Yeah. Which is a potential problem, right? So one objection is, well, what about the ones we haven't looked at yet? But another good objection, and Ben already alluded to this, what if I don't want to mow that big of a damn lawn? Right? What, how, why is bigger yard necessarily better? Yeah. Now, if you have you know, llamas and shit, then great. <laughs> Two birds with one stone, by the way, the big yard is nice for the llamas and they probably eat your grass. So you're not going to mow it. Um, the first thing I thought of was what if the house itself is a piece of shit? Well, that's what I was imagining. I was also imagining like, I just saw a house the other day where like the vines were growing up over the front door and it's like, ah, clearly no one lives there. What if you have shit <laughs> like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Giant holes in the roof and yeah. just <laughs> the plumbing is just leaking and the foundation is crumbling. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this, uh, what about the neighbors, Ben, mm -hmm. you know, frat house next door. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons not to rent this house just because it has the biggest yard. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. What does Tom say? Tom? No, it isn't. Whoa. In other words, it's not the best. Yeah. It's yard isn't really as big as it looks. Oh, no, you're going to stop right there. I would imagine. I would because 
She said it has a larger yard than any other house we've looked at. So I'm not arguing with her about the size of the yard, at least for the ones that she's looked at. I. But Tom is. Yeah, Tom is. Tom is going after her evidence, which is interesting. But okay. Well, on an agree disagree question, um, which I assume that's what this is. It might not be, but yeah. on a, normally when there's more than one speaker, we're going to be asked what they're agreeing about and what they're disagreeing about. And one of the things that's useful to think about is: Are they arguing about premises or conclusions or yep. both? Yep. Here, I think it's both. It's both because the no, it isn't is saying, no, it's not the best. So Tom is going after her conclusion, but then saying the yard isn't really as big as it looks is going after evidence. So he's like, look, Rolanda, you're wrong on both counts. Yeah. Tom um, has not, Tom is disagreeing with every single thing Rolanda said. <laughs> this is kind of like a Democrat and a Republican talking about the <laughs> yeah, election. Really. All right. Keep going. Property lines in Prairie View, Prairie View actually start 20 feet from the street. Jesus, this is horrible. So what looks like part of the yard is really city property. Well, that's going to be true for every freaking property. So even if she's wrong about this one, she's, I don't know. I, I don't like Tom. <laughs> <laughs> one would assume, yeah, that, I mean, if this applies to one house in Prairie View, then why wouldn't it apply to all the other houses in Prairie View? Um, and then what does Rolanda say back? But that's, Oh, thank you, Rolanda. But right. that's true of all the other properties we've looked at too. Which, by the way, if you're a proactive reader in the LSAT, which you should be, and you're having these reactions and you're engaging with the text, then a lot of times the subsequent sentences either repeat what you thought or tweak it a little bit. But either way, you're hypersensitive to what they're saying. It makes sense, which is why I think a lot of people can go faster, ironically, when they slow down and try to understand because the subsequent sentences are digested yep. faster. Slow down to speed up. And that's our number one reading comprehension tip. What Ben did there, what we both did there, and really anybody who's any good at the LSAT at all did what we did here, which was predict what Rolanda was going to say back. You should, on the reading comp, half the time, you should be finding – you, you should not that you're going to predict everything that's going to come in the remainder of the passage, but when you're halfway done with the passage, you should have some ideas about what you're going to read in the second half of the passage. And, and you shouldn't, you should be very frequently like, Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I knew they were going to say that once in a while you should be like, Oh shit. I thought they were going to say X, Y, Z, but instead they said Z, Y, X. And that's an interesting tweak on what I thought they were going to say. If you're not having that reaction, then you're just not, engaging enough in what you're reading and you're not comprehending because you're not actually engaged. You're just not actually reading it. I think, you know, any rational critical thinker here would have objected to Tom's statement in the way Ben did. And then you read Rolanda's statement and you go, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Rolanda's with it. We are hashtag team Rolanda here clearly after reading this exchange. We are on her team in regards to this point. That said, we still disagree with her original conclusion. Oh, yeah. We're not You're saying like, that this is definitely idiots. the best one to rent. Mm -hmm. But in the logical spat she's having with Tom here, she has destroyed Tom. I mean, we're not listening to Tom anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she has demonstrated Tom's dumb logic. Yeah. All right. Let's answer the question. 
Rolanda's response to Tom suggests that Tom commits which one of the following reasoning errors. Okay, this is a flaw question. Yep. And it's specifically asking about Tom's error in reasoning. Yep. So we're going to look for Tom's failure, and it's failing. I I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a flaw name for this. We I'm didn't study like, rhetoric. We oh, don't shit. give a shit about rhetoric. <laughs> we don't give a shit about formal logic. I don't have a name well, for this. Well, if I'd gotten flaw. that certificate, um, <laughs> I would say that Tom's flaw is not realizing that a characteristic of one thing is actually true for all of them, so you can't compare them. That's even me going like wordy. Just that he didn't think about how this one thing is actually true for all things. I don't yeah. know. Something I'm like looking that. for an answer that just describes, hey, man. Doesn't this apply to all the houses in town? Yep. You made an objection to one particular house, but that objection probably applies to all the houses. So that's beside the point. Yep. You know what that's like? Mm. In the presidential election of 2020, frequently I heard Trump supporters talking about how old Biden is. Trump's old as fuck too. <laughs> so why would one, neither side is allowed to pick on the age of the other candidate when they're both crusty old white dudes. Yeah. I will say though, that Trump is more, um, he doesn't make as many, like he can speak more clearly. <sighs> I mean, he speaks simply. I'm not saying <laughs> I agree with what he's saying, but he's a lot more like, but I just can't understand. I'm like voting for Biden as he like stumbles over pretty much everything he ever says. Who would I, win I just, in a vocabulary uh, test? Oh, I'm sure that Biden would, but he's not, he's, he's losing his mind. I have to agree with the Trump supporters. <laughs> he's old as, anyways. either one of them are, they're going to be the oldest president we've ever had. Really? Wow. Yes. Good job. 2020. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Thanks America. Well, actually, <laughs> Thanks, Democrats. Like, why the why we could have served up anybody? And uh, by the that's way, who you, I want to make it clear that I am not a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat. I'm actually a registered Republican, but oh, I don't okay. understand why the Democrats chose Biden. It, to me, it's all insider, or whatever, and it's a disappointment. I would have been so much more excited for like some of those younger folks. Literally anyone else. Yeah. Uh, okay. You want to go through these answer Tangent. choices? Sorry. Tangent. Answer what did choice Rolanda, Sorry. What did Tom do wrong? He fails to take into account the possibility that there are advantages to having a small yard. Mm. Never talked about the advantages or disadvantages. The problem with A is that, I mean, the fact that there might be advantages to having a small yard is an objection that we had right off the bat to Rolanda's logic. Yeah. Right. So A is on target, but it's attacking Rolanda's logic. And we were asked to uh, attack Tom's logic or not really to attack it, but to describe a flaw in Tom's logic. A, I think is a pretty good objection you could make to Rolanda. And maybe yeah. it's a flaw in Rolanda's argument, but we are asked here specifically for a flaw in Tom's argument. B. He presumes without providing justification that the property that belongs to the city is available for private use. Oh, that, that property that belongs to the city is available for private use. What is, I'm sorry, what does this have to do with anything? 
Um, oh, I see the 20 feet. If anything, no. he does the opposite of that, right? He assumes that it's not available for private right. use and therefore should not be considered. Right. All right. C. He improperly applies a generalization to an instance that it was not intended to cover. Um, okay. That's interesting. I could see how people might be tempted by this. They're like, oh, the generalization that this is happening everywhere, and he applies it to a specific instance, this property. But we... <laughs> if anything... One, he's not thinking about it as a generalization. He's right. thinking about it as a specific case. I think it's the reverse of C. He's talking about this specific case while ignoring the possibility that this is a general rule. Yeah, yeah. D, he fails to apply a general rule to all relevant cases, relevant instances. Yes, that's what he did. So I would say D is the answer, but just to check E, he presumes without providing justification that whatever is true of a part of a thing is also true of the whole. No, again, um, I mean, this is like mixing different things, but if anything, this is the opposite because he only focused on the part, not the whole. Yeah. I mean, he stated a general principle. He said property lines in Prairie View actually start 20 feet from the street. Yeah. That's a statement about property lines in Prairie View. Does it apply to this one house? Yes, it does. The problem is it also applies to all the other houses in Prairie View. And he seems like he forgot that weirdly. Yep. Yeah. So he has a, he has failed to apply a general rule to all relevant instances. The other relevant instances here being every other house they've looked at in Prairie View. So the answer is D. And that's it. Sweet. That's it. I think we should wrap it up. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We are at Thinking LSAT. That's the show. And at LSAT Demon, which is the best LSAT prep money can buy. By the way, it's cheap. $95 a month, $195 or $295 a month if you want to have live classes. For $295 a month, you get multiple live classes seven days a week. Uh, we have a team of teachers, a bunch of badasses. Also, you get me, you get Ben. Um, check out the free trial at lsatdemon.com. You can follow uh, at ThinkingLSAT and at nfox on Twitter. nfox is me. You can leave us a review on iTunes, please, if you really want to do us a favor. Email help at thinkinglsat.com if you have uh, agenda items for the show. That was episode 271 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.